Warning, this podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. I'd like to thank our contributors for sharing their stories with us this evening. User Sad Albino Cat, I Love Jonah and Micah, Anonymous, and User Cool Cat Kate. Thanks so much, guys. I'd also like to welcome DBrew9145, Lane B, and Blackbeard to our online campfire. If you're interested in seeing how you can support the podcast, you can check it out over on patreon.com slash nightmare society. The links are in the show notes as well. Also, don't forget that uh, Nightmare Society is a weekly podcast. We release every Thursday and it's available pretty much on all the pod streamers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Pocket Cast, CastBox, etc. Um, We're also on YouTube as well, so um, you can pretty much use your favorite app to listen in whatever way you choose. Now, be comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. in a large city in Canada where I go to university downtown. I take the land rail train back and forth between home and campus. It's usually a 15 minute walk between the train station and my house, but I need to cut between an apartment building scheduled for demolishment and then a very tiny stretch of trees in order to reach the path that runs beside the tracks. My train station is next to a recreation facility used for volleyball and basketball, etc. The train is partially underground, partially above ground, and I get off at the station directly across from my university. However, it's often quite sketchy as it is downtown and my city is quite well known for its crime rate. I am a sciences student and I often find myself in the lab until later in the evening. Because it's winter and further north than most Canadian cities, It gets dark really early. I usually call my mom or my boyfriend on my walk to the train, as I've had several creepy encounters in the past, one of which I was waiting at the light to cross the street to the train, and a homeless man approached me and got really close to my face. At the time, my mom was in my headphones, so she heard him say, You have really pretty eyes. It was almost comedic when my mom said, Run, in the same tone as that song where the beat drops after run. Luckily for me, there were other students present, and it never escalated after he walked away, after I just muttered a quiet thanks and shuffled away from him, 
Everyone who takes public transit in a large city knows that there is your fair share of homeless and druggies you just avoid contact with and continue on. This experience I'm going to tell you about was much more serious and a lot more sinister. One morning in the dead of winter I was walking to the train in the late morning. There were a lot of people walking so I felt pretty secure and didn't pay too much attention to the man in the long black cloak and gray gloves that was walking in the same direction as me after the abandoned apartment buildings. I boarded the train along with another dozen people. It wasn't until that night that I realized I probably should have been paying closer attention. I had a late lab so I took the nearly empty train home well after rush hour. It was around 8.30 to 9 o'clock p.m. so it was dark and there was a decent amount of snow coming down. I got off the train at my stop along with a group of young people with the logo of the university that trains at the nearby rec facility. Also got off at the train and were walking to the building in clumps. I didn't notice the man from that morning immediately because as I started on the path, I was looking at my phone to dial my mom for the walk. I should have been paying more attention because I didn't actually notice him until he stepped directly in front of me to intercept me along the path. I looked up, startled. The man was wearing a long black wool coat, gray mittens, and a gray toque. He looked to be in his late twenties to mid-thirties and had a closely trimmed brown beard and brown hair stuck out from under his toque. He smiled at me but his blue eyes looked cold despite it. I immediately started running through my imaginary scenarios on what to do and took a quick glance over my shoulder to the university athletes who were almost to the rec center and steadily getting further from me. The man and I were nearly alone. He said to me, You're very pretty to be out so late. Where are you headed to? My heart dropped. I really wish I was witty or good at thinking fast on my feet because all I said was, Nowhere? He acted as if I didn't say anything and took a step towards me, still smiling that creepy smile of white death and dead cold eyes. I can walk you home if you like. I just stared at him in horror and he continued, You live that way, don't you? and pointed in my direction of my shortcut through the trees by the old apartment buildings. At this point, it clicked that this man had followed me from the apartments to the train this morning. He knew which station I'd get off and which path to wait for me on my way home. All I knew at this point was I could not let this man know where I lived, and I couldn't go home through the isolated shortcut where he could do God knows what to me. Instead, I made a blatant lie and said, No, I have practice. I was hoping my backpack and the general university student look would be enough for me to sell it as I quickly turned away and scurried after the student-athletes. As I got to the doors, I turned to look at the man. He hadn't moved and was staring at me. I've never seen that look in a person's eye before. It was so malicious and his smile was replaced by a sneer. As soon as I was inside, I darted towards the largest group of people I could find and called my sister, who I was living with at the time. I told her what happened and asked her to come pick me up. 
I had a sneaking suspicion that the man was still waiting for me to attempt to walk home. She said she was driving on her way home from work and was about 5-10 to 10 minutes away, but she would pick me up right outside the rec center doors. It was the longest minutes of my life as I stared at the facility doors, waiting for the man to come in looking for me, but he never did. My sister called me when she pulled up and I pretty much ran from the building to her car and she hit the lock button as soon as I was in. The drive home follows my usual walking path for a while, but forks off close to my shortcut through the woods. As we drove past, I gasped and pointed out the indistinct shadow of a man among the trees. I knew it was him, and I knew he was waiting for me. I never saw the man again, but now whenever it's dark out and it's not busy hours for commuting, I get off at the next station and walk home from there as I walk beside a very busy street. Even though it's five minutes longer to walk, it's totally worth it. I never want to see those cold blue eyes again. It was about 4 p.m. on a sunny evening in Central California. I was in the 7th grade, around the age of 12, and had just joined the school's cross-country running team. I was super excited for the season, and had just started going on short runs after school to hopefully get faster. It was like any other normal day. I threw on some shorts and laced up my running shoes. I was almost ready to go on my run and was just waiting on my watch to get the GPS signal. Once I got it, I told my mom I would be back in an hour or so and took off. Everything was going great so far, and I just got out of our neighborhood and into the newer one across the street. After about 10 minutes in, I started hearing what sounded to be like an ice cream truck siren. The sound started getting closer and closer until it stopped. Weird, I thought. I then came to a stop sign in the neighborhood, so I stopped, quickly looked both ways, and slowly started running again. On the opposite side was an older white minivan, which I didn't think anything of until I got closer to the van. I made eye contact with the driver and he totally stared me down. He was an older man in his 40s or 50s. I thought it was a little bit creepy that he would do that. So while I was passing it, I noticed that there were some really faded stickers on the side of the car that looked to be different options for ice cream. No way. Was that the ice cream truck I had heard earlier? It was. The ice cream van proceeded. I kept on running and just looked back to see where it went. It was actually flipping around. So naturally, I started picking up my pace due to the red flags I noticed. My instincts were just telling me to get out of there, and I'm not entirely sure why. Then the van started to accelerate towards me. As he was about to catch up to me, I reached the end of the neighborhood where it came to a bigger two-lane road with a median in the middle dividing it. 
I didn't hesitate and sprinted right across it while jumping over the median. When I got to the other side, I looked back and saw that the van had turned right. I was now in another neighborhood and felt a little better knowing that he went the other way, but I was still on edge. I was just trying to justify things that he just went the wrong way and was simply trying to get back on track. About a minute later into the neighborhood, I looked back again because I am just that kind of paranoid person. To my disbelief, he had just turned into the neighborhood and was heading straight towards me. This means he had to have kept down that main road for about half a mile where the median ended and he could turn around. At this point, I was really picking up my speed and looking for a road that might lead me away from him. They were all cul-de-sacs. He was now gaining on me. I was running so fast at this point and finally found a road that would hopefully take me somewhere out of his way. So I took this road and he followed me in. As I turned the corner, I saw that it was a dead end. Now I was kind of freaking out. So I turned around quickly while he slowly turned around. At this point, I was in a full out sprint and had my eyes peeled for anything to hide behind or just get out of the neighborhood. I then saw an elementary school about 150 meters away. This had several cars in the parking lot and hopefully some people. I finally got to the parking lot where I frantically hid behind an SUV. I quickly checked to see if the van had seen me, but as I was checking he had just pulled out of the road with the dead end. I was now just hoping he would keep going and not see me. He passed by the parking lot and then kept going. I was not leaving anytime soon and was waiting for him to get out of the area. At this point he had turned on his siren again and I heard him circle the neighborhood for the next 15 to 20 minutes until it slowly faded away. Now that I thought things were clear I sprinted the next mile or so home. I was so relieved to get home where I knew I was going to be safe. This totally shook me up and I didn't run by myself ever again. After thinking back on this experience, it chills me even more to think of what his true intentions were with me that evening and I'm glad I trusted my instincts. So to the older man in the poorly looking ice cream truck, let's not meet again. store for the past two years. Although retail wasn't something I wanted to necessarily do, it was much better than my previous job in the food business, so I was grateful to not have to touch food all day, and would take the world of customer service much more gratefully than the food industry. It was the middle of January, and the store is usually quite dead towards the end of the day. Usually the following month after Christmas is never really busy, 
due to people probably trying not to spend money after the gift-giving season. And the cold weather of the winter season in Canada never really helped the situation much. People typically aren't in the mood to leave the comfort of their own homes in the middle of a snowstorm. That meant that they put less people on shift, and I was alone in the fitting room. I work at a pretty big store, and alongside the weather conditions, that meant that the employees were usually spread out on the floor, not within close proximity, in comparison to what they put during the busy season. None of us wore earpieces, as we did most of our paging through the speaker system. It was a Wednesday night around 8 o'clock, and the store closed at 9. I was usually put on the cash register, but often frequented the fitting room when they needed help. It was a very quiet night and I spent the first couple of hours of my shift helping organize the beauty section that is right next to the fitting room, or go speak to my lovely co-worker who worked in the jewelry section, helping the few customers that actually wanted to try clothes on when they came by. There was a man who came to the fitting room with two dress shirts and I didn't think anything of it. After all, he was nothing I've never seen before. Older, tall, kind of stocky, muscular, plain. I did notice that he seemed dressed rather nicely. A clearly expensive suit and a nice shoulder bag. I assumed he must have come to the store after his day at work. I counted the number of articles he was bringing in, as that was mandatory in order for me to monitor the flow of clothes and try to stop theft. Handed him a number corresponding to the number of articles he was taking in, and asked him politely to put the clothes back on the hanger. In French, rather than English, because Quebec requires us to speak French first to customers. To which he replied with a simple no problem. I noticed he had a thick accent, although I wasn't and still am not able to place my finger on it. I think it may have been Russian, but I can't say for sure. The man walked into the fitting room and I didn't think much of it. I helped the other customers who came out of their rooms, counting the articles they came with and matched it with their numbers, and hung them back on their place on the rack. A few moments passed by and the man came out. Not really putting much thought into it, I took both dress shirts from him. He didn't want any of them, and took back his number, said thank you, and turned to place the clothes on their rack. Usually, this was the point where the customer would just leave the fitting room. But when I turned around to go back to the front, he was still there. I asked him if there was anything I could do for him or if he still wanted the shirts that I had just put away. He smiled and looked at me, not answering, and I felt a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach. He was looking at me as if he wanted to say something. And me, being the 5 foot 4 inch girl who hates confrontation of any kind, I just nervously laughed and started to organize the desk at the front of the fitting room entrance, awkwardly arranging all the numbers although they were already in order. He asked for my name to which I just looked down at the name tag I was wearing and repeated it. He told me it was a beautiful name. I laughed nervously, never knowing what to do in these sort of situations, and being nice to him was part of my job in customer service. Besides, he didn't do anything wrong just complimented me. I said thank you and looked away, avoiding eye contact. He then just stood there for what felt like 20 minutes, but in reality was just three probably. He stood there as I helped other customers and it was beginning to make me uncomfortable. 
not wanting to be rude, but also not wanting to subject myself to being uncomfortable for the rest of my shift, or however long he was planning to be there. I asked him if there was anything else he needed help with. Here's where I began to get scared. He then proceeded to tell me that he'll be waiting for me at 9.30 outside the doors of our store. He wanted to take me out. Confused, I looked at him oddly. How did he know that we finished at that time? The store closed at 9 and we usually spent 30 minutes cleaning up the store. I suppose the information isn't hard to guess, but it still felt weird. Why did he want to take me out? I once again laughed nervously because that seemed to be the only thing I was able to do when uncomfortable, and politely declined, saying that I had to get home and study. He laughed, taking a step closer towards me, and I instinctively took a step back. He didn't accept that answer because he just smiled once more. I'll be waiting for you outside the door, where all the employees leave from, in the truck alley. I'll be there. There was a door that employees exited from the mall because the normal door is usually locked around 9.15, and we always finished later than that. So we take the door that takes us into a slight alley where all the trucks go to drop off shipments for our store. Being someone who hates confrontation and who does not do well with controlling my emotions, I felt myself start to tear up at this moment. No employee is allowed to mention the door we leave from, it's company rule. Since we usually finish late and the parking lot is dark, they don't want anyone to know where we exit from as a precaution. I told him once more that I appreciated his offer, but I wasn't interested, and I had to continue my work. I politely told him to leave, when he put a hand on my shoulder and I felt myself freeze up. I remember thinking praying that one of my co-workers would show up to pick up the rack, or that the jewelry employee would stop filling the cases and turn around. Obviously, with my luck, nobody did. He told me I was a pretty girl, and he couldn't wait to meet me in the alley at the end of my shift. He said he has a nice apartment and a cute dog, as if the dog was going to make me change my mind, and we could have a fun time. Desperate, I said I have a boyfriend and he was going to be picking me up, hoping that would deter him, but he just laughed. He said my name and then told me that wasn't something that usually stopped him, placing his hand on my shoulder this time. I honestly began to feel really scared and excused myself to use the phone on my desk, shaking his hand off of me that I hadn't realized was gripped on me so tightly. I paged the number for my coordinator who curtly replied before I was even able to get the word in that she was busy with the customer and hung up. Unsure of what to do, as the man was still next to me as he followed me to my desk, I called my manager, who thankfully replied. When he saw that I was speaking with someone on the phone, he left the fitting room, but that didn't make me feel any better. I told my manager what had happened, and with good reason, she freaked out, telling me I need to report him immediately reminding me that with people like that, I really have to be careful. She told me to call security, to which I did, and the security guard told me they had an eye on him through the camera. It was around 8.30 at this point, and I was getting ready to start my closing tasks, still paranoid about what the man had said. To be fair, I'm a paranoid person, and I watch way too many murder documentaries, so I could have been overthinking. This sounded like the beginning of an abduction movie, honestly. 
I kind of calmed down, not seeing the man anymore. When the security guard called me back, he wanted to let me know that the man had never left and was circling the store. I felt more dread than before pop up in my stomach. He didn't leave. Thankfully, he hadn't come back to see me. I felt kind of better for the fact that the security guard had seen him, so if anything did happen, there was someone who was able to identify him. Once again, overthinking. By the time the store closed and it was time to leave, two of my co-workers, Evan and Ethan, two boys who worked in the warehouse, made sure to walk with me all the way to my car, not letting me be alone. I appreciated it a lot. Although I didn't want to admit it, I was scared walking through that alley, and I was even paranoid he was going to follow me home. I took the extra long route to see if anyone was trailing me, to which they weren't. When I walked through the safety of the door of my house and locked it behind me, I let go of a breath I wasn't even aware I was holding in. I'd make sure now to always leave the store using the buddy system. I never walk alone, and I always make sure I'm hyper aware of my surroundings. I never wear my name tag anymore. Luckily, nothing happened to me, and maybe I was overthinking the entire experience. But I wanted to stress that even if your job is customer service, if someone makes you uncomfortable, speak up. You should not have to be subjected to this behavior at your work, or anywhere for that matter. And to the creepy man who wouldn't leave me alone in the fitting room, let's not meet again. This story happened in early December of 2018. It was Christmas break, so I was back home from college and staying with my parents. I live on the second floor of my house, just above the sliding back door. It's a fairly heavy door, so anytime anyone opens or closes it, I can hear it. Our house was built in 1940, so it creaks a lot and sound travels through the walls pretty easily. We live in a relatively safe part of town, too. The strangest people we've ever gotten are our magazine solicitors, and even they stopped coming around a few years ago. We've never come anywhere close to a break-in. Admittedly, I had gotten into a bad habit of smoking weed out of my bedroom window after my parents went to bed. Most nights, by midnight, I had my window open anywhere from 30 minutes to 2 hours. It depended on how tired I was, how cold it was outside, etc. I would leave it open to air out the room while I watched Netflix or listened to music. I always listened to whatever I was watching through one headphone. This way I had an open ear to hear if anyone got up or started walking in the hallway. That night I had gone through my routine and was laying in bed watching YouTube. When the alarm to our house went off, it was the blaring to all hell alarm so the entire house was up and ready to go. My primary concern, which I realize is ridiculous, was not that someone might be breaking into our house. It was that my parents might smell the residual weed smell in my room. My dad poked his head through my door to make sure he knew where I was before he scoped the downstairs and turned off the alarm. When he knew I was okay, he asked me to go into his room with my mom. 
I don't think he noticed that my room's window was open. After he cleared the downstairs, he did a sweep of the front and backyard to make sure nobody was hiding in the shadows. He's pretty paranoid about most things, but honestly, I appreciated his thoroughness. He came back up, told us that he didn't find anything, and we all went back to bed. I went back to my room and debated whether or not I should close my window. Stupidly, I decided not to. I figured my dad had swept the yard, so it was fine. Plus, my parents were awake and would probably freak out if they heard my window sliding closed. I decided to wait a bit and let them get a little less conscious before making any window-related noise. About 15 minutes later, just as I was about to get up and close my window, the alarm goes off again. My dad rushes downstairs to turn it off just as I slide my window closed and push both locks back in place. A few minutes pass and my dad comes and knocks on my door. I open it and he tells me, Hey, I think it's just the wind. Don't worry about the alarm. It had been a pretty windy night, 20 to 30 mile per hour winds, and the door had a little give in its locking mechanism. It could be pulled half an inch or more before you felt the lock. So we both decided to write it off for the time being. The next morning, my dad decides to check the alarm system's app on his phone. To our horror, it showed the door being opened and closed 14 times before the alarm triggered the first time. Like I said before, it's a heavy door. We've had windier nights and never had the alarm triggered or seen the sensor opened and closed 14 times. My dad was telling our next door neighbor about what happened the night before, trying to figure out if it actually could have been the wind. Our neighbor told us that in fact he'd caught someone briefly entering his backyard on his security camera. He told us he'd probably freaked out once he saw the camera and moved on to our house. Just imagining whoever it was standing at our back door, right below my open window, triggering the alarm, hiding somewhere and probably watching my dad scope out the backyard, and then doing it all over again while I laid obliviously in my bed. It was enough for me to stop my midnight smoke sessions entirely. After this, we had a series of weird events happen at midnight. The next night, a woman rang our doorbell at the stroke of midnight, literally, and gave my dad his wallet, which he hadn't realized he'd been missing. A few nights later, the alarm triggered at the back door again, and then on Christmas Eve, I was home alone while my family was at the midnight church service, and the alarm triggered twice back to back in a disturbingly similar time span as it had the first night that time i didn't bother asking which door had been triggered i didn't want to know i took away a fairly simple life lesson lock your doors hide your wife lock your windows and set your house alarm even if you think you're safe better go check your alarm thanks so much for listening and Until next time.